Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, the climate change, nature, environment and sustainability podcast that looks at all things, just all things. Green, leafy, <laughs> naturey. Uh, those are some of the words you might be Absolutely. Well, there we go. Straight in. The biggest surprise of this episode is that old co-host Lloyd, you're back. I'm Emma, you're Lloyd. I am back. You've taken a little bit of a pod sabbatical. Did anyone notice I was gone? Absolutely. The people were clamouring for you. <laughs> I've spoken to some really cool people, but I did miss you too, bud. I did miss you too. Ah, oh, I miss you too. I, I know it, it was in all the tabloids, all the magazines. Where's Lloyd? What's he? Go- where's, where's he gone? What's, what's he it doing? It was you know COVID, Russia, Ukraine, and then it was Lloyd. Where's he gone? There, there, there were so many false flags. Like p- people kept saying, um, "Oh, he's been spotted um, in downtown Chelsea." They were, "Oh, he's been spotted up in Scotland." Yeah. They, he, they, they he's were gone underground. Like he's running wrong. a smuggling ring. All the rumours, but in reality, go on, give give the listeners what they far. want. Tell them a little bit about your life update. I um we, we produced a little sprog. The sprog <laughs> is born as of recording. He is now three months old. And absolutely gorgeous. And he's absolutely gorgeous. I think he's the cutest baby anyone has ever seen in the world. He's incredibly cute. I'll vouch for him. He is incredibly cute. He's very chonky now as well. He's fantastic. And he sleeps through the night. So I'm quite rest- rested, surprisingly. You're you're looking pretty chipper. You weren't that chipper when I came to see you and meet him. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> you're looking very good today. We've turned a corner. So, we have turned a corner. how are you? How are you taking this whole new lifestyle? And are you finding it? And this will be a, this will be a question that recurs. But how are you yeah. finding being a bit sustainable with now a child to also kind of fold into uh, the uh, milieu of life? The, you know what? I was going to bring this up myself organically anyway. So that's <laughs> well, well done. That, that's that's God, a really a good. good I went to tip today, and I had to take loads of black bags with me. Because we had, we're going to have too many for our collection that's coming up this week. And I just need to get rid of them. And it made me think, oh my God, since he's been born, it has actually been quite difficult being sustainable. Like we've, we've tried, tried to choose um, organic biodegradable products, for example, like water wipes rather than any wet wipes or anything, uh, bags that are biodegradable, etc. But it's still been quite notably more difficult because you tend to just have more things that you throw away it's just inevitable um so my challenge to myself is over the next couple of weeks get that to maximum two bags a fortnight black bags and then work to reduce it to nothing from there but two black bags fortnight that's an admirable goal is my okay is my goal nice um but yeah no it has actually been quite difficult i'm glad you glad you asked that because it's quite a, a real discussion and actually, while we're on the subject, I don't know if you found it more difficult, but cost of living increases with uh, gas, food prices, etc. Do you find that you're tempted by the slightly less sustainable options sometimes because everything is more expensive? Yes. Um, I think the it, it, on our side, I mean, we haven't got a child squeezing our finances. Uh, we've got a house squeezing our finances. And now we've got... Uh, the, everything else, the cost of living and everything else going yeah. up, squeezing our finances. So yeah, I have to admit, actually, the, the pressure for, for kind of what I'm making consumer decisions on is suddenly being even more centred around, yes, but is is that too expensive? Should I just go for the cheaper option on this occasion? And always, always without fail seems to be that no matter what it is you're thinking of, whether it's a food option that you want to eat or a pack, like something with packaging or not packaging, it, 
without fail, the cheaper option is always worse for the planet. And I'm struggling to reconcile that slightly because I don't, you know, it's really hard to, you know, we've spent the last couple of years really, and privileged to be doing so, but really trying to prioritise the planet above most of our decisions. And now we can't really do that as often is a bit... It's tough, isn't it? It's really hard. Yeah, sometimes I feel like a lot of progress as a society we made pre-pandemic towards Mm. like fewer plastics, like awareness around these issues i feel like we've regressed quite a lot as society we need to kind of pick that footing up i mean um example shopping for dog food for example we've obviously done an episode on pets Mm. and the technically the more sustainable option is to buy food in tins but i found at the moment the pouches are much cheaper are they really um per, per kilogram and we're lucky enough to live in a place that does actually recycle these pouches anyway but it's still from what I understand, a, you know, a harder process to recycle them than it is mm. tins. So you're still technically making a worse choice. But uh, yeah, tough, isn't it? Tough. It is. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see, interesting and also maybe a bit depressing to see the direction that it goes in this year. Um, I don't really know what to yeah. expect. And a little part of me just wants to bury my head in the sand uh, or bury my head in my new allotment, which I move into tomorrow. <gasps> Amazing. What is that logo? It is. What? Explain. So I'm getting, I've got an, I've signed up for an allotment and I've got my move-in slot tomorrow. And this is related to everything we've just spoken about, but also to my one good thing. So this is in a bid to not only further my like mental health and happiness, because I absolutely bloody love gardening and growing vegetables as you and all regular listeners will know. I'm also really keen to try and grow as much of our food as I can locally um, and, you know, organic and um, just myself so that's that's my one good thing for the week is to to hopefully reduce my food footprint by trying to provide quite a lot of it myself i have no idea how this is going to go i have grown on a very small scale in my garden before and it's really only been like additional snacks or like a lot of courgettes faith in you i'm sure you (laughs) so i don't know whether it will actually yeah reduce my food allotment dwellers (laughs) i hope so next door yeah, you will. That's 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 excellent. Was there a really long waiting list? Because I, I hear that these waiting lists are insane to try and get yeah. the space. So I've been on a council allotment waiting list for three years now, and I haven't heard anything <laughs> because nobody is giving up their allotments. And totally fair yeah. enough. Um, and I think particularly during the pandemic, everybody was like, "Oh wow, actually, I really value this outdoor activity and this connection with nature and the land." Yeah. And yeah, fair play. Um, but no, That's one really of the farms uh, locally to me uh, has gone and said, do you know what? We're going to turn one of our fields into some community known dig allotments. Oh, well, good luck. Yeah, I'm good so luck. excited. There we go, everyone. If, if, if you thought from the previous discussion that my return was going to be marked by pessimism and uh, and bleak futures, <laughs> you're wrong. I, I do like that we jump straight into some deep topics straight away. But listen, what's what's your one good thing for the planet? Because um, you've, you've basically just one. highlighted all of the things you, you haven't been able to I do. I know, yeah, all the problems. Um, it, it's only a small one, but... Um, We're here to celebrate all sizes of sustainability Yeah, journey. all sizes, great and small. So we have been packing up uh, Teddy's previous clothes that he has suddenly gotten too big for, and they are going to other people, family members and friends. Oh, fab. So, yes, because there's a spate of babies around, or about to be. So yeah, they they will That's be excellent. onwards. That's brilliant because, like you said, like at that age, they grow so absurdly quickly that oh, he's so long. They don't ruin things, you know. They he's don't wear them to baby. the end. He's going to be tall like you. 
<laughs> yeah. But that's brilliant. That's that's really, really good. And I'm sure the people that you're gifting them to will be really appreciative as well of not having to go and seek more resources and things for their child to, you know, to have pre-loved things coming from you guys is awesome. Exactly. Yeah. We, I mean, we've had a lot of stuff from uh, friends as well already, actually, uh, like used clothes and it's just, they get used for such a short period of time mm. that it's just... Yeah, we've got so we've got a friend's um, a friend's one year old's birthday, first birthday uh, coming up, and um, we said to them, "Listen, what do you what do you guys actually want? We'd love to get her something that she needs rather than just like another toy." Um, and they were like, "Do you know what? She really needs shoes." <laughs> and we know you guys are really good at finding secondhand bargains, so is there any chance you can find us some kid size five shoes or whatever? And we were like, "Absolutely, challenge accepted." And we've got a, <laughs> it's too cute. We've got like a little a little dinky pair of like blue slip-ons and then a little dinky pair of pink vans because they wanted something with velcro and slip-on because they had laces and it was oh, oh my gosh absolutely thrilled and they're absolutely both like barely touched and absolute bargains online because yeah. Yeah, they yeah. just power through them so quickly it's yeah it was really cool well done see babies are going to be a source of my one good thing for quite a while Absolutely, but we need to celebrate some listener one good things before we go off on too many oh, tangents. We do, we'll don't put we? a pin in the baby content because I'm very keen to do an actual episode where I pick your brains about it. But maybe you want a bit more practice of yes, being a dad before I maybe quiz wait you. till Teddy can formulate some answers and then he can, you know, <laughs> come to the podcast instead of me. Yeah, sure, swap him out. Um, <laughs> listeners, what have listeners done this week? I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Elizabeth at yeah. Monday's Organic Period products, who we've chatted to and about. Uh, before and she has started cycling to the office again and now that the weather is better so that's awesome fantastic uh tom you planted five new trees in the garden um including hazel and crab apple well done we like planting we do uh jenna has been charity shop shopping for her new clothes very on theme i like it ed dug a pond this is fantastic so exclamation mark i i put the exclamation mark there for you because i'm thrilled because <laughs> You won't know this because the episode hasn't come out yet, but last week, my one good thing was I've dug a pond this week, Lloyd, in my garden. So I'm thrilled that somebody else has also dug a pond. Yes. Pond. Pond pals. Fr- fraternity? Oh, all that. Like a kind of secret society. I like it. Anyway, before I give the game away for my new club, Natalia has found the podcast and has talked to her mum. Good job. With Great Welcome. enthusiasm about bees. So she's obviously gone back and listened yes. to the first ever episode, which makes my skin crawl slightly because I'm pretty sure our first like 20 are awful. Which means um, when you eventually get to this episode in however many months. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Natalia. Great to have you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, Kate, you got a train recently instead of driving and you've been walking where you can. That's really good. Small changes like that. Love it. really do make a difference um I, I saw a picture recently um of a sort of simulation of like loads of cars in a in a traffic jam in a street and then it sort of digitally removed the cars to just show the people in the, in the street in the traffic jam you know to sort of show how stupid it was that there were like 20 people mm. up this whole street and then bunched them all up in the middle and was like just put them on a bus um cool. that's my little rant over that's a good visualisation. Nice bit of science communication there. Big fan, big fan. Yeah, I feel like that needs the medium of pictures rather than me talking. Jess has restarted her ecology membership. That's ecology with an I, not with a Y, uh, which essentially is a scheme uh. where you can pay a small fee every month to kind of carbon offset your life and try and become a bit more planet positive. So supporting schemes like planting trees. So she's done that to help support her uh, business. That is Absolutely excellent. Jess, you repaired a bunch of your clothes to make them last longer. 
yeah, that's something I've been meaning to do more of as well. Two different Jesses there as well, might I might have had. Um, yeah. And Nameless, uh, somebody who didn't didn't leave their name on Instagram, last one from me. Uh, this one I thought was really cool, actually. She made a list of plastic-free uh, things and independent store purchases that she normally does and shared that with her friends to help them with their own sustainability journey. So I think that's really cool because often if you want to be a bit greener, it's really hard to know where to start. So if somebody else yeah, is like, yeah, yeah. yo, I know that the best washing up liquid comes from this shop here but you want to go and buy your shampoo bars from here because they don't dry a scalp out as much that is such useful time-saving sustainability journey progressing action i think it's awesome so i i really high five that one yeah yeah well done and how about this for some absolute insane energy to to tie us off tamsin emailed the big boss of her company to challenge them on what the company was doing to help the environment. Oh, I love, I love this one so much. Do we have an update from Tamsin? Do we know I, I if... I haven't heard. Um, no. Okay. But that's, that is really, really cool. I'd really love to know what the outcome of that was. That's a really great action. At the very least, it brings the fact that your workforce are climate concerned to yeah. the senior leadership attention. And, and if maybe change that gets enacted, percolates. that's like multiplied more than just one person that's you know true very very good fantastic well done everyone we love hearing these it really uh brightens our week it really does it uh, truly does it gives me a lot more hope than i currently feel so thank you thank you very much (laughs) for sharing them with us okay lloyd um (laughs) you've been away for a while but we need to we need to get back on track we need to talk about a topic we need to talk about the threats to the topic and we need to talk about what we can do to help with the topic and today's topic is um Drum roll, please. Bats. Bats, indeed. Bats. <laughs> so we've got 18 species of bat in the UK, 17 of which we know are breeding here. And all bats in the UK eat insects. So things like moths and mosquitoes and midges and mayflies and everything else that seems to begin with M. They do, um, indeed. Particularly bat, um, insects that are active at dusk. Yes, there are actually 1,400 species of bats worldwide wow so we don't Um, have very many no we actually don't comparatively it's amazing and yet despite us only having 18 of those species they still account for almost a third of all the mammal species in the uk um what you're saying there about absolutely it's it's amazing isn't it yeah that how um just how yeah how few species we do have here but bats as i say are the world over and in fact the only places on earth with no bats are the arctic the antarctic and some isolated oceanic islands and some really hot deserts so they are very widespread the largest do you know what the largest is no the flying fox the flying fox is a bat that is an interesting it is is a bat the flying fox is a bat and it's got a wingspan of up to two meters that's terrifying one and a half kilograms wow the smallest bat in the world is oh it's probably like the size of a thimble i don't know what's the smallest bat it's called the bumblebee bat oh i love it already and it only weighs two grams oh my gosh it's tiny it's a tiny 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 it's absolutely amazing what you're saying there about bats in the uk only eating insects that's not necessarily true of bats worldwide. No. So I don't know this but you can split bats into megabats and microbats apparently oh i love this okay um if I'm wrong, you can blame National Geographic for this particular source of information. So me- megabats and microbats. Microbats are the ones that eat insects at night and dusk. They rely on echolocation to hunt. Vampire bats are actually a species or a type of microbat. They're the only species of microbats that feed on blood. Mm-hmm. 
Ooh, spooky. Vampire bats are quite cool. I've got a fun vampire bat fact, if that's helpful. Oh, go on. Yeah, yeah. Like a, um, which has just sprung to mind. I spoke to a vampire bat researcher at some point last year. <laughs> of course you did. This yeah. is my life. <laughs> I, did, I quizzed him on all the things that he does. On and purpose? Or? Yeah, it was an intentional conversation. But he, part of his research was to travel to South America where we have vampire bats. We don't get them in the UK. We don't really get yeah. them in Europe. And Yes, we know that they feed on cattle, but the question that his research was looking at was, but do they feed on other things? So what they would do is they would capture bats as they flew in and out of the caves where they knew they were roosting, and then they could take a sample of the blood meal in the bat's stomach, they'd go in through the throat, and then they could do DNA analysis on the blood that was in the stomach oh, to, to work yeah, out what species it was cool. feeding on. How cool is that? that so is like cool some science. coastal communities of bats or of these vampire bats would feed on like seals and sea lions because that was what was around no if there way. weren't things like cows. How cool is that? So what's interesting to me there, as you said, obviously they, they, they're only in South America. What I wish my re- I'd now expanded my research into is folk tales and folklore because I'm wondering how, because bats are so entwined in sort of, you know, horror stories and things, particularly in Eastern Europe mm. in like hundreds of years ago, like very widespread. So how is it that, they associate them in certain parts of Europe with blood sucking. Honestly, I can't remember. Vampire bat in South America. They, they must. I don't know whether the legend of vampires evolved separately to vam- to bats. So there, there were people that, or the legend of people that sucked blood and survived, and oh. then we learnt about vampiric bat species, and the two maybe commingled at a later date. Because yeah, we don't have um, blood sucking bats in Transylvania, which is where a lot of the myths particularly surrounding yeah. old dracula that all comes from so I, I i don't know whether bats are a late addition to that but i re- I honestly don't know that for certain so you are a wise and um wonderful oh thank you podcast host <laughs> um yeah so we, so we talked about micro bats mega bats mega bats sorry for derailing the other ones yes. no that's all right so oh. mega bats are the other ones that live in the tropics uh they tend to eat fruit nectar pollen so that they're the ones that you see the really cute pictures of them like nomming on some kiwis or bananas or whatever um <laughs> yeah the the mega bats tend to have the larger eyes um and a strong sense of smell because they don't have to use echolocation so much because they're not trying to go for insects and relatively they have smaller ears than microbats um, ah. yeah so they're all, all of them roost often... upside down so did you know that fruit bats are often the ones that are used in films because they are bigger and they look more kind of, right. well, they're mega batty. Whereas if you were trying to run a horror film and using genuine vampire bats, they're like much smaller and much less like dramatic on screen. So we often use fruit bats yeah. in TV. Very cool. Hmm. Very cool. I've got all sorts of bat facts that I didn't know that I had stored up in my brain. <laughs> are you ready for some quick did you know facts? Always. So these are facts I've written down that didn't naturally um, seg into any of the other paragraphs. Well, now we're so paragraphing I, I, it I together. I'd, I'd make a little quirky, kooky section. It's Lloyd's um, Did You Know Caller. So to get some bounce, some, some you know, back and forth, <laughs> and, and the audience can be like, oh, they got really good chemistry. Oh, they got all these cute little sections. <laughs> so did you know the brown long-eared bat can hear a ladybird walking on a leaf? Wow. That's specific and I like it. Mm. Did you know the... Pipestral, Britain's most common bat, mm-hmm. can eat 3,000 tiny insects in just one night. I did read that, yes. That How, is a lot of insects. That's a lot That's a lot going on, isn't it, mm. in your life? That's a busy evening. To be fishing around for, for insects. The last one, did you know, during hibernation, a bat can lower its heartbeat to 10 beats per minute? 
but in flight this can increase to 1000 beats per minute wow they've got they've got mm. some good cardio there their heart muscles are really doing their job yep. that concludes no 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 bat facts <laughs> moving on right why are bats important we've established now that they're very cool let's explore why they're important and then we can find out why we're worried about them so yes Let's. The the blanket first answer that comes up whenever we talk about pretty much anything is they're part of an ecosystem. You can't lose part of an ecosystem because then everything else kind of falls by into panic and into all kinds of disarray. So they're they're very much predators and they can be used as pest control in some situations because they're amazing with insects. Mm. And if you don't have them not controlling, but yeah, exerting some kind of pressure on insect populations, all sorts of things can start to go awry. I don't know if anything be- eats bats, actually. Are they prey? Cats. Cats tend to play with bats, but I've, I've read that yeah. they don't actually kind of kill or eat them. No, I, I, I can't think of anything. Oh, well, there we go. Sharks? More than likely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, more than likely. Bigger bats. Oh, that's the point, actually. Some bats do feed on other bats. Do they? Mm. Not necessarily in the UK, obviously, because we've only got microbats, but um, elsewhere in the world. Ah. There's always a bigger bat. There's always a bigger bat. Bats are a really useful canary in the coal mine as well, actually, particularly in the UK. If we're looking at our ecosystems as a whole, they're a really good indicator species for biodiversity and health of an area. Because if, you know, if bats are struggling, it's like they have very similar sensitivities to lots of the other struggling creatures in that ecosystem. So if bats are struggling, you can assume that the rest of the ecosystem is also struggling. However, if bats are thriving then you know you've probably got a much better scenario on your hands. Yeah. I think there are like five or six bat species used by DEFRA, the Department for Environment, Food and and Rural Affairs. Thank you. Elsewhere, so we've talked about obviously in the UK they only eat insects, but elsewhere where they do feed on fruit and nectar and things, they're actually really essential pollinators for crawling up into some big wide-lipped plants um, and also in seed dispersal if they're eating the fruit and pooping it out elsewhere. I think there was a piece of research that had a look at the fact that they could help reforest areas that have been cleared, because essentially what they do is eat the food, and then when they poop it out, that's basically a package of fertiliser, and I really liked that analogy. So the seed ends up in the floor with its own little kind of packed lunch. Just a little bit of bat poop. Yeah. Uh, And on the topic of pollination, um, apparently more than 500 plant species rely on megabats for pollination, and those include... Our lovely favourites, mangoes, bananas and avocados. Mmm, very mm. nice. I Here's another weird tenuous link. In the summer I was talking to a guy that researched um, kind of acoustics in nature and one of his target species was bats. And he was having a look at how bats elsewhere in the world were able to locate the, the right flowers for them to know that they could go in and pollinate them because obviously they don't really see them in the same yeah. way that you and I visually see stuff. And he showed me a... We were in a botanical gardens in Bristol and he showed me a plant with a a bat flower. So I can post a picture of that on Instagram, actually. Oh, yeah, please. What, so what, what does it look like? It's kind of big and red and you can see... It almost looks like it's on a cactus, but it's not. But it's like quite a big red flower and you can kind of basically see like if you were to imagine a bat crawling into it you could see that it's got very wide opening and this kind of like tongue-like smooth um entry kind of way cool i think there are so many different species of bats as we said over like 1400 plus worldwide and 
they are so diverse in what they eat, where they roost, how they interact with their environments, that they have so many different niches and so many different roles they play. They're actually very important in so many different ways. Okay, so we've established that bats are interesting and important. What threats are they facing? I have to admit, most of my research has been on the UK population of bats in terms of the threats that they're facing. I didn't delve too much further into South America and things. Although actually a lot of the things that I think I'm going to talk about probably do apply. So the first one being for me was that obviously we've spoken about loads of times on this podcast that insects are in global decline. So that's super relevant to our micro bats. If insects are in global decline, Absolutely. if insects are in decline in the UK, the food source that these bats uh, rely on is becoming much more scarce. Um, so, you know, a lot of the reasons for our loss of insects are things like insecticide use, unsustainable agriculture practices, but also things like loss of green space and loss of wildflowers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if we're losing our wildflowers and we're losing kind of the habitat which their, their prey ends up in, then we're also knock-on effect losing our bats. They're very sensitive to landscape use changes, are, are our bats. They, they don't deal well with things like habitat fragmentation. They, you know, there are some species of bat that only live in large woodland and large woodland is not a particularly common site across um, our very nature-depleted island. No, days. like as I was saying before, there are so many different species of bats with so many different niches. You've got some real specialists and specialists will quite often be the most vulnerable to changes in their environments because there's not much else they can do. They're not generalists. Mm. So um, there's uh, barbest- barbestals, I don't know if I pronounced that right, um, and Bikestons, Bextins bats. <laughs> Let's see if I can get that right. Um, they tend to need older, more mature trees for because um, they they need the the rotting holes. They need splits. They need flaking bark. And as you said, we don't have that much ancient woodland left. Um, you can refer back to episodes on HS two and all those. Um, Good plug. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, if we're talking about train construction, we should talk. We could also talk about road construction in a very similar vein. Um, so, in the same way that if we're nodding to HS2, smashing up ancient woodlands and losing roosts from that environment, bats will also lose roosting and breeding sites if we're cutting new roads through woodland, yeah. whether they're ancient or not. But interestingly, they'll also lose foraging habitats, but also bat commuter routes, because often bats will use a similar route. Uh, to get from where they roost to where their kind of preferred feeding ground is um, quite regularly. And if we don't do yeah. kind of ecological surveys to check the bat commute routes before we plan new roads, you can end up just popping a road right through them. And a lot of bats will actually fly at like hedge level, which means they're also at car level. So either they won't cross the road because they find it too threatening and too stressful an environment, or if they do cross the road, they're kind of at the perfect height to collide with a windshield. So you, you can yeah. get a lot of like bat death and disturbance from evening traffic so bats generally need uh three things so they need safe roosting sites they need places to forage and they need as you say routes to commute and um, with a little briefcases <laughs> between them and lighting is actually one that can as you say really disrupt pretty much all three of them so it can deter hunting it can even get them to abandon their roof roosts completely and in terms of roosting sites we tend to associate bats as well with uh, urban environments. They're, they're quite unique in, in compared to a lot of animals, I suppose, in that they, they're very at home in, in the urban environment. Um, so you might get bats roosting in lofts. And I didn't realise this, but apparently one 
cause of their decline can be certain chemicals we use to treat wood nowadays oh, right. in our timbers um, and our and our wooden frames and in our lofts. That is, I'd not heard that, but that makes yeah, that makes perfect sense. If I if I can just pick up on the lighting as well, um, I read a paper that was looking at how bats responded to UV and non-UV emitting streetlights in an urban environment. I think this was in Berlin. And um, I think they, they were expecting to find and still concluded that overall light pollution has general like negative consequences for bats and it's probably not fully understood. But it's especially more difficult for them in areas with trees. I don't know why. But um, they found that even in... So in UV light-emitting areas, actually some species of bat were even more active than they were in non-UV light-emitting areas. That's thought that that's because they feed on insects... And some yeah. insects are attracted to UV light because some plants emit UV light to attract night-flying mm. insects for pollination. That's very juicy research. There's I'm whole feeling that might have cropped up in our light pollution episode from a few episodes ago. I think that might be the same paper that was mentioned then. But that was a really, really good point. Um, in terms of insect populations, whilst we've cycled back to that um, and... Pesticides. Yeah, so pesticides are, of course, um, a recurring menace, uh, which are mentioned very often in this podcast. Less often mentioned are dewormers. Oh, okay. So apparently dewormers uh, that are used for horses and livestock can actually cause declines in insect populations and have been linked to declines in bat populations. So, for example, greater horseshoe bats feed almost exclusively on insects like flies and beetles, that themselves rely on the dung of livestock and horses. So there was a decrease in great horseshoe bats in Britain between the 60s and the 90s, and their, their population decreased by about 90%. So massive Whoa. crash in their population. And that was actually linked to the use of Invermectin. Oh, right. Wow. And Very if you're wondering specific. why you've, you've heard the name Invermectin before, it's the one that... Um, Colourful characters have been trying to push as the anti-COVID. Oh, um, oh, good lord! Yeah, that, that's that's why you're racking your brain to remember where you heard that. All the bad press for Invermectin. Um, okay, I wasn't expecting um, Donald Trump to come up in a podcast about bats. But I, listen, I, I didn't even mention you. Him. Never you, know you made that. You connected uh, that dot on your you, own. You never know <laughs> what's going to happen in Fort Earth, and I enjoy that immensely. Where will we end up? Who knows? From Trump to turbines. There's some evidence in America and a little evidence also in the UK that some bats collide with wind turbines, which is not the headline that you want if you're trying to promote renewable energy resources. And uh, no. particularly in the UK, we are well, very well positioned to power a lot of us by wind. So uh, one of the papers that I read was that... Uh, I think it was a 2021 study, actually. So very nice and recent. They were having a look at basically um, it can cause things like barotrauma, which is kind of tissue damage from ear pressure changes. So it's not just collision, yeah. but actually they were advising that if we do our ecological ecological impact assessments, one of the things that we can do to minimise back collision is actually just to minimise blade rotation at peak collision times. So we run the turbine throughout the entire day and then at dusk we just chill out a bit. How simple is that? How elegant is that as a yeah, solution? Yeah, makes sense. But we would never have thought about that if somebody wasn't wondering what was up with the bats. I mean, part of that as well, I suppose, is about knowing the routes bats take as well. Mm. If you've got more information on knowing where bats are going and commuting, as we said, between sites and roosts, 
then we can inform our choices of where to put blades. But apparently it's actually really hard to know exactly where they go because compared to birds, bats obviously generally are much smaller and it's much harder to ring bats compared mm. to ring birds. So ringing, of course, is where you put like a little plastic or metal ring around their leg to identify which is which uh, so you know where they've been if you recite them etc so generally you've got fewer people who are licensed to ring bats than to ring birds so it's not as often done uh, and bats have i mean so do birds but bats have a much more finely tuned weight to flight ratio so when it comes to gps it's much harder to fit those for example mm. I, I know in our lab a few years ago they were looking at doing little backpacks for bats oh um, wow which is very cute. Because, for example, it's, it's thought that British bats will migrate between the UK and the continent, but it's hard to know that for sure mm. and hard to know to what extent that happens. So um, it's a bit of a data-sparse zone in a way. That's really cool. Did you know, just on the topic of bat flies, that bats are the only mammal that can truly fly rather than just glide? That yes. was a cool fact. I should have saved that for Did You Know Corner. That is a good one. I mean, this is completely off topic, but flight in itself is a really interesting one in the way that it's oh, yeah. evolved in sort of parallel between different species. So not so, so when you think of times flights evolved, it evolved what in the dinosaurs, insects, bats in mammals, and birds. I was about to say what else flies, birds <laughs> fly. Uh, so it's only really evolved for... I'm feeling there's a fifth one I'm missing somewhere. Four or five times flight. Oh, flying fungus, of course. Oh, for the flying fungus. The, yeah. The, the yeah, natural. So it's a very, very rare. And it's just, yeah. Wow, it's, that is cool. It's very cool when you think about just the fact bats. Bats are flipping mammals. And they're so good at flying. Have you ever seen a bat? Yeah, uh, at my parents' house at night, very reliably in the spring and summer. At dusk, you can see the little bats flying around. Oh, gorgeous. Are you about to tell me you've got like vampire bats and stuff flying around <laughs> no, your No, no. I have the same thing actually uh, very much at my parents' house um, in the evenings in the summer. You can often see a couple of bats flitting around just kind of just as the sun starts to set. Uh-huh. There is a, there's some nice places actually where Mark and I go kayaking. Um, if we go kind of, uh, if you're out for kind of dusk, you'll see them along the river, which is really, really cool because obviously lots of insects yeah. will emerge around the river and around the water and you can just see them kind of like flitting over for about you know 10 minutes before it gets too dark it's so cool but i've never i've never like up close seen a bat so i've only ever seen the kind of uh, yeah i, I would flight. love to see one up close because mm. they're, they're freaky little things um anyway any any bat guys out there make it happen or gals us know. of course or gals um, i meant guys uh, as a yeah, gender I, I non-conformative no, ter- yeah i'm, I'm just trying people. to stir the, the, the bat shit pot shall we very quickly move on to what what we can we do. We can do. We being the collective yes. we is in our listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, gardening is a good place to start. If you've got a little garden, my favorite you place can to start. attract more insects to your outside spaces, which will in turn hopefully attract more bats. So you can get night flowering plants um, mm. like evening primrose, night scented stock, nicoti- nicotiana. I don't know. I'm not a very green-fingered person. Um, can attract moths, for example. Um, you can avoid using pesticides in your garden. You can make a pond, as Ed did, of course. One of our listeners, he dug a pond. All very good for helping invertebrates and insects and in turn bats. Absolutely. And compost heaps as well are another thing that can help promote more Ooh, yeah. insects. Stop using pesticides 
equals also more insects. And so the most common species in the UK that use our gardens for feeding or for daytime shelter include the common pipistrelle, the soprano pipistrelle and the brown long-eared bat. I mean, hopefully I pronounce those vaguely correctly but basically yeah. they will often as you've mentioned before when you talked about their habitats you know they will like to shelter in kind of hollow trees or roof spaces or splits in trees or dead branches so essentially if you've got a um slightly janky looking tree leave it don't be cutting off the wonky branches if it's not a threat to anything else allow those kind of dead spaces and hollow spaces to be there because then they've actually got yeah. roosting spaces if they would like them yeah Fantastic. And Emma also mentioned there about uh, lofts being one of the places bats quite often like to roost. If you do suspect or you do know that bats are in your lofts, please don't panic. They don't tend to um, damage any infrastructure or build nests like, for example, mice do. But we'll just sort of come and go. They won't really cause any problems. Um, you might want to put a dust sheet down to protect things from urine, mm. uh, bat urine and, and droppings, of course. But uh, generally, okay. And if you would like to help them out. Um, please avoid using sticky insect traps, for example. They do get stuck in there, especially if they are hanging from Aww. things as opposed to on surfaces. You can also, as we mentioned earlier or alluded to earlier, you could avoid using toxic wood treatments mm. on your home. The UK government website has actually got a page for selecting wood treatments that are bat friendly which is interesting. And also good to know that quite often modern roofing membranes that we put down can sometimes entangle bats. So maybe be careful about what you're putting down there. You can also get bat boxes. So we talk a lot about bee boxes. We talk a lot about bird boxes, but bat boxes are also another one. I don't know how you necessarily screen for what will go in there. So maybe we'll get birds in there. I don't know. But you can. I think that the bats the- come in underneath, whereas birds come in uh, vertically. So it's like even just the of shape of it is different because the bat will have to crawl in. It's almost like cleverer people than me have thought this through. Really. <laughs> so if you go on the RSPB website, they do have instructions for how to make a bat box, or you can also buy them ready-made from the RSPB. Cool. So bat boxes need. So bats need kind of. If you have a look at their life cycle, in the summer is when they really need kind of warm, sheltered spaces because that's when they're they're roosting and they're breeding and they're looking after their young. So if you've got a bat box or you've made a bat box and you want to pop it up, you need to choose a a space with a kind of sunny, southerly or westerly aspect, preferably. And try not to put it, yeah. So get your compass out. So try not to put it above like doors or windows or pathways, which might disturb them as well. They really need to be kind of left alone um, because stressing them out causes them to use a lot of energy and they need all their energy for you know life and things so that the whole living thing which yeah. is what we're all about lights lights are another good one right so or, lack said, lighting of. Can, <laughs> or lack of yeah so turn turn your lights down turn your lights off if you don't need them only use them where you actually need them try to adjust security lighting so they are pointing down more this is also links very well into energy saving and light pollution as well so you'll be doing all sorts of good by just evaluating where your security lighting is pointing and whether you can angle it downwards or get uh shields can't you Mm. it's quite a good idea to go back to our light pollution episode on this because we talked about the different types of uh, outdoor lighting and shielding and shapes and that sort of thing absolutely Try and keep your cats indoors at night, people. Um, They can sometimes play with bats or, you know, attack them. We don't want that. Not very good. 
Um, you can also volunteer with a local bat group, I believe. So there's also Ooh, in the UK, for example, there's a national bat monitoring program you can get involved with. You can sometimes go around with a little um, microphone. Oh, like one of those audio Bobby, devices Nugget. that tells you what they are. Cool. Yes, exactly. Uh, and you can help out with the survey. It's worth knowing that despite um, crashing bat populations in the UK over the last couple of decades, they are starting starting to show shines of recovery. <laughs> oh, that's positive news. It's nice to end. Thank you, Sean Connery, note. for your guest spirit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, these things can help. Fantastic. Well, that's that's a big old list of actions there. I feel like sometimes our topics are interesting to talk about but yeah. hard to reconcile with individual action but there's quite a few things there that we can do to try and support our bat populations yeah. in the uk especially in the uk i apologize if you're not from the uk and you listen to this um we're only about the micro bats here we, we can only talk about so much wait for our us tour i don't know <laughs> yeah salt lake city 2023 <laughs> oh fantastic well listen on that note we're going to wrap up and we'll see you very shortly for another episode but yeah Lloyd, do I put you to the test and ask if you can remember the social media handles? Uh, um, Twitter is What Earth Pod. It is. Facebook is uh, For What It's Earth Podcast. Yep. Uh, what What other mediums? Instagram is yes. also For What It's Earth Podcast, and yeah. our email is um, For What It's Earth at. G, we're shaking your head very vigorously. For what it's earth, pod at gmail.com. But hey, well done. Three out of four. Well done. I'm I'm impressed. I thought maybe pod eternity leave would have sucked some of that useless knowledge from your brain, but no, well done. No, no, I've I've become a zombie husk and it sucked out um, my my real time memory recall, but everything prior to that is, is intact, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, well, listen, there you go, listeners. You've got myriad ways to contact us. Get in touch. Let us know what your one good things are. Yeah. Let us know if you've enjoyed the episode or if you've got any ideas for things that we should and talk Tamsin, about. And let us know how that chat with your boss went. Yes, absolutely. Good luck. Imagine if she's like, was emailing like the head of like JP Morgan Chase or something. And then suddenly they were like, yeah, you know what? We should do better. We're actually pretty awful. That'd yeah. be great. We can, we can hope. We can hope. Yes, and we should probably say that um, all our views and everything we expressed herein and forthwith um, <laughs> belong to ourselves and ourselves alone. Forever uh, and always. Yeah, there we go. I remember to do that bit as well. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.